produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston. So you wanted me to put my dang on my feet in? Yeah, if you don't mind. Just sure. It's kind of freeing, isn't it, to hold an accordion on a diving board? <laughs> Makes you feel like anything's possible. That's me on the edge of Weird Al Yankovic's pool. He's playing Elton John's song Funeral for a Friend on the end of his diving board. His feet are actually dangling in the water, and he's splashing for a few photographers shooting photos for my story. Al's wearing rolled-up jeans and a flowered shirt. He's politely following every request of the photographers. More splashing, more playing, bigger splashes. At some point, I notice his accordion's getting wet. He's not bothered. He knows how to put a face on for a photo. He's done it a zillion times before. I don't know what Elton John would make of that moment, but I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, it used to be better. I haven't played that song in a long time. You're apologizing for your performance of Farewell to a Friend on a diving board? <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for everything. <laughs> I'm Washington Post national arts reporter Jeff Edgers, and from the Post and WBUR in Boston, this is Edge of Fame, a podcast about the life that happens before, behind, and beyond the spotlight. Today, the most successful funny songman of our time and arguably all time, the amazing, weird Alfred Yankovic. Let's start this episode with one of my favorite songs, Michael Jackson's Beat It. Now let's hear the Weird Al version. How come you're always such a fuzzy young man? Don't want no Captain Crunch, don't want no Raisin Bran. Well, don't you know that other kids are starving in Japan? So eat it. Just eat it. Okay, if you haven't seen it, you should. Because the music video of Eat It after watching Beat It Again is stunning. No wonder it's one of Al Yankovic's first giant hits. Weird Al isn't just doing a parody of the lyrics here. He's also parroting MJ's famous dance moves, right down to the white socks and black shoes, all meant to evoke the famously gloved one. That energy, that over-the-top goofiness, that's what Weird Al became famous for, which is why, perhaps naively, I half expected to find the real Al to be so much like the Al in the fat suit, loud, outgoing, uninhibited. But Alfred Matthew Weird Al Yankovic is nothing like that. He's shy, quiet. He struck me as pretty guarded at first, too. Made me wonder if I was missing something. So I kept going back to it, pushing to get below the surface. In the car with Al on the way to a San Francisco comedy festival, you can hear the closest he ever gets to getting annoyed. Remember yesterday I was badgering you to be angry about something? Uh-huh. Um, we live in a universe where we always expect that there's something, right? Uh, like some dark, deep, like... Just some, some tension or angst or whatever, right? I, I, if I have any, I must have suppressed it pretty well. But there might be a... I don't know if it's a shyness or an introverted nature or something or... You know, I, I am uh, at heart kind of a shy person. I am sort of introverted. I mean, I, I, I'm very quiet most of the time. 
I have a bit of a duality because, and I think that might stem partly from my parents because my father was very outgoing and gregarious and my mother was very kind of shy and withdrawn and soft-spoken and I, and that both sides of my personality are, are there. I think people are sort of suspicious anyway of people who don't have problems. <laughs> Aren't they? I, I suppose. <laughs> We're going to find something on this guy. Uh, well, just, uh, you know, um, what's he hiding? Al grew up in a socially conservative household. Mom wasn't about to expose her only child to the harsh realities of modern society. I do remember, like, you know, we would subscribe to TV Guide, and if there were, like, uh, women in, in the in TV Guide wearing a, a bikini that was too revealing, she would get a felt marker and, and help out the bikini a little bit. <laughs> But Al had his escapes from his sheltered childhood. Hello there, this is Dr. Demento. We're on the radio here. Al lived in a suburban neighborhood just outside L.A. in the listening area of the Dr. Demento radio show. For devotees of the sonically silly, Barry Hansen, better known as Dr. Demento, is an institution. The Dick Clark of funny songs. He introduced Weird Al to the public 40 years ago. Dr. Demento. Dr. Demento, how are you? It's uh, Jeff Edgers from the Washington Post. I'm fine, thank you. You know, I'm doing a profile of, of Al, and uh, every time I tell people that I'm writing about Al, they say, uh, why, why? And I go, what do you mean? He's, the guy had a number one album last year. They go, Really? No, it's it's remarkable. There's uh, never been anything quite like it in the history of funny music. Dr. Demento exposed Al not just to stuff like Spike Jones and Alan Sherman. Hello, mother. Hello, father. But to more obscure one-goof wonders such as the singer Nervous Norvis. My foot's on the throttle and it's made of lead, but I'm a fast-riding daddy with a real cool head. I'm going to pass a truck on the hill ahead. <laughs> Dr. Demento is a friend to oddballs and outsiders, the generation of pranksters raised on Mad Magazine, which so expertly twisted popular culture into something darker and edgier. Young Al, the straight-A student, was listening at home and felt an instant connection. Obviously, he was my inspiration to do what I do in the first place. My, my, my life, I think, would be drastically different if Dr. Demento had never existed. I mean, you know, he played myself on the radio when nobody else in the universe would have given me airplay. And then there's this amazing moment captured on tape. On March 14, 1976, Alfred Yankovic was introduced to Dr. Demento's listeners. This fellow's name is Alfred Yankovic. He listens to the Dr. Demento show, and he wrote himself a demented song, which we're going to share with you, Alfred Yankovic and his accordion on KMET and Belvedere Cruisin'. Al was 16 and accompanied himself on accordion. I think when he sang the line, there's something about a comet that makes me want to vomit, that, that kind of perked up my ears. I mean, he would do far better songs after that, and he's a little embarrassed about Belvedere cruising today, but uh, I thought, as soon as I heard it, I thought, that guy has some talent. And then he just kept getting better and better. Weird Al didn't have to go into music. He was smart, a high achiever, and a rule follower. The valedictorian of his senior class, 
a college freshman at 16, and four years later, a graduate of Cal Poly with a degree in architecture. But growing up in the 70s, Al, like so many kids, had Dr. Demento and Mad Magazine. If you were psychoanalyzing him, which I've tried, believe me, you could argue that the perfect son, the model student, could embrace a darker, mischievous side while still being very closely watched by his parents. And my grandmother lived further down the block, and if I wanted to go visit her, my mom stood at, on the sidewalk at, at her house, and my grandmother stood on the sidewalk at her, at her house and watched me walk from point A to point B. <laughs> when I was 15, I think I'd, I'd had enough, and, and I had the, about as close as I could, uh, as you could call, like, uh, a, a, <laughs> a tense moment. I said, fine, but next year I'll be in college and I can do anything I want. <laughs> He was 16 when he moved into the dorms, and you'd think he'd go nuts in college after such a sheltered upbringing. He didn't. Here's Joel Miller, Al's college friend and bandmate. He didn't drink, didn't smoke. I've only heard him swear twice. One of them was when we told him for his birthday that this Playboy Playmate was waiting for him at the top of the stairs. There was a life-size cutout of a Playboy Playmate. So we posted it on the wall, and it looked like there was a naked woman at the top of the stairs. <laughs> and so he thought we were screwing around, and then he turns the corner, and just for a split second, he thought there was a naked woman there. And he, he said something like, shit! Al knew he wasn't a ladies' man, but he says he never considered putting down his accordion and picking up a guitar just to fit in. I was the one-man band that my parents always, like, were saying, like, oh, if you play the accordion, you'll, you'll never be lonely. You know, it's yeah. your, your walking party. Uh, and it was true to some extent in the, in the dorms because, like, you know, I would walk out into the lobby and start playing, and people would gather around, and my friend Joel would get his bongos out, and we'd start jamming. And, you know, it was dorky and nerdy, but, you know, we were having a good time, and nobody was, like, going, like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> right, it was, it, it's kind of an innocent like atmosphere in yeah. many ways, isn't it? I it, mean, was, it was sort of a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> this is my safe place and I have this accordion strapped to my chest. Weird Al is still a nerd. Back in his living room, he mentions he's in the process of re-ripping his entire CD collection because he's read that flak files sound better than MP3s. Yeah, I'm going, going through it and burning them one at a time. <laughs> like 24 hours a day? or Well, I mean, when you're awake? When I'm awake, yeah, like I'll think about, oh, time to change the CD. <laughs> what is it like, do your, do, do, does your daughter, does your wife, did they notice this? Do they know, is this just normal for them? <laughs> that I'm like in the, right. in the and, and my wife sometimes will, will just question the sanity of it. Like, are, are you sure this is worth your time? And I'm like, I guess, okay, I, maybe. <laughs> Um, so you spend you, you spend a lot of time on the computer. I do. Yeah. You're an emailer. Yeah, I mean, I, I answer my emails, and, and uh, that, that's that's probably that's that's my favorite way of, of communicating. I mean, I like the opportunity to get my thoughts together. And that goes for communicating good news and bad. While on tour in 2004, Al wrote a letter to his fans online. "Quote: I feel pretty much the way you would expect me to feel. Shocked and devastated beyond words." I loved my parents so much 
and this all seems like a horrible nightmare that I can't wake up from. Al had gotten the call from his wife while on his tour bus, just a few hours before performance. His parents had both died from carbon monoxide poisoning in their California home. It was a terrible moment, a moment he doesn't like to talk about. In fact, I didn't even want to ask him about it. So back in 2004, Al dealt with it his way. He continued on his tour without a hitch. His letter goes on. I've heard from so many people over the years that my music has cheered them up in times of tragedy. Well, I thought maybe my music would help me too. He didn't take questions from the press, even though they were calling. Al finished out the last six months of his tour and returned home. He continued in his letter, I'm also grateful that they both lived long enough to see me happily married to Suzanne and particularly happy that they got to meet our beautiful baby daughter, Nina. More with Al after the break. Suzanne and Al were married in 2001. For years, she worked in marketing, rising to be a senior VP at 20th Century Fox International. Hello. Hey, Suzanne. It's uh, Jeff Edgers. Oh, hey, Jeff. Uh, Is this a good time? Oh, okay. I thought we were talking at one. One? Uh, Oh, one your time. You know what? I'm going to make myself a cup of coffee. Could you call back in like five minutes? I will. Absolutely. Okay, good. Okay, bye. Okay. Al's wife, Suzanne, thought Al might be too on for her taste when it was suggested they go on a blind date back in 1999. Hey. Coffee done? Coffee is, you know what, I had to refill the tank, so it's brewing. Oh, no. But I might, I know, I know. It's all good, though. Do you, I mean, do you want me to call back when it's all brewed? What? I'm sorry. Would you mind? Like, just give me, like, five more minutes. She initially declined the suggestion of a blind date, worried that his wacky personality wouldn't be a good fit. Then she talked to Al and recognized the gulf between his public persona and his real personality. Hello. All right. How how is it done? Yeah, it's done. (laughs) I'm here. I've got my latte. It's all good. They were both pretty busy with their schedules, so they got to know each other over the phone. Suzanne thinks that was key in developing their early relationship. There was none of the awkwardness of being in person. You know, and then we met, and, you know, face-to-face, he, he can be very shy, you know, which I thought was really endearing. Al and his wife, Suzanne, have a daughter, Nina, who's 15. They live in a lovely house in the Hollywood Hills. What's really interesting, and you probably know this about your husband, but it's like every time I ask someone who I think will never talk to me, you know, the first response I get when I send a note into Jimmy Fallon's people is, I'm sorry, he's not doing any interviews after the Golden Globes. And then I say, well, I heard that he was listening to uh, Weird Al records in his basement with Lin-Manuel. Is there any chance you could check in with him? And then, of course, like five minutes later, they're like, yeah, he'll talk to you. Now, that's, that's a wonderful thing to get that kind of a response and, and, you know, very much speaks to, you know, who Al is. Wow, that's a, that's a wonderful honor. Hi, is this Jeff? It is. I have Jimmy if you're ready for him. I am ready. Thank you. Great. One sec. Hello? Jimmy, how you doing? It's uh, Jeff from Hi, the buddy. Washington Post. Hey, how are you, buddy? Great. Uh, great to talk to you. I'm excited to uh, talk to you about Weird Al. 
Yeah, I just the idea of uh, Lin Manuel and uh, you in the basement listening to uh, polkas <laughs> is is fascinating. Uh, how, how did that happen? Okay, here's the here's, this is the story. So okay, a, one recent uh, summer day, Lin Manuel Miranda, the guy behind the Broadway hit Hamilton, stopped by Jimmy Fallon's house in the Hamptons. They both love music, and Fallon has this state-of-the-art listening room in his basement. And they're both huge fans of Weird Al Yankovic. We got talking about Weird Al, and I said, do you know the, uh, do you know Polka Party? I couldn't believe Lynn knew every word. Polka Party covers 12 songs in three minutes, from Peter Gabriel to Madonna. The last one is the best. He does Papa Don't Preach by Madonna uh, in a polka version, and it's him going... I'm gonna keep my baby, keep my baby, keep my baby, keep my baby. Lynn Manuel Miranda remembers the same thing. Just picture Jimmy Fallon and I sitting in a basement laughing our asses off, singing, I'm gonna keep my baby, keep my baby. Hey! And that's the way it ends, and we, and we had to play it again and cranked it. We were crying, laughing, and singing every lyric. It was the best. It's easy to dismiss Al as a novelty act, a guy whose shtick wore out not long after he threw on his fat suit. But the reality is that he's remained relevant and immensely popular for decades. His most recent album, Mandatory Fun, actually hit number one. He's also regularly tweeting to his more than five million followers. And there's also Al's artistic reach. He's loved by Tony Award-winning composers like Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's also adored by kids like my son Calvin, Cal is seven, and he ranks Alice's favorite artist, which is pretty big stuff considering who ranks second and third. Out of all the musicians I like, I like Weird Al the best, and then Ringo. Ringo, not the Beatles. Well, Ringo and then the Beatles. I mean, just George and John. I don't like Paul. Calvin's admittedly partial to Al's early stuff, the sometimes sophomoric simplicity of My Bologna a My Sharona spoof originally recorded in 1979 in the bathroom at Al's college radio station. Ooh, my little hungry one, hungry one, open up a package of my bologna. Ooh, I think the toast is done, toast is done, top it with a little of my bologna. But as Al grew older, he began to operate on multiple levels. Funny, yes, but also sophisticated. He packed his records with original parodies that poked fun at celebrity, popular culture, and the all-too-seriousness of rock stars. He could tackle virtually anything, which is why he popped up in Lederhosen to perform the Please Don't Nuke Us North Korea polka on John Oliver's Last Week Tonight just recently. You'd like us if you got to know us, I bet. We're mostly harmless, decent people. Hey, we're really not so bad. My point is, please don't nuke us North Korea. So I'm talking to a colleague, someone who has never been a Weird Al fan and doesn't know all that much about him, and she's sort of baffled, particularly when I tell her how smart Al is. A guy with an architecture degree? Why, she wanted to know, is he making funny songs? It was drilled into me that what I did was novelty music, that, I, that, that you know, people that do the kind of music that I do have very ephemeral careers, that you're lucky to, you know, they don't, nobody wanted to sign me to a record deal because they thought, oh, you do funny music, you'll be around for like three months and then you'll be a, a footnote. 
On a simple level, it was great fun. I mean, even a shy guy like Al liked being a rock star. The screaming fans and the worldwide tours. But he also was super successful. Al wasn't greedy. He once turned down $5 million to become a beer company sponsor. But he made millions off his music. And when he wanted to branch out creatively, he could. He began to produce his own albums, and he also began directing videos. He acted on television shows, wrote a pair of children's books, but he always came back to music. But fame is still weird for Al. We're walking to the car in San Francisco, and a crowd is gathered. All these people are trying to get Al's signature. Al's nice about it, even though it's obvious the people chasing him down aren't real fans. They're men with stacks of identical photos looking for signatures they can sell on eBay. Autograph hounds who haunt celebrities. A lot of people would just wave them off. I, this, this, and this, that's it. Right here, please. I already said what I'm doing. Thanks, I appreciate it, Al. Sure. All right, thanks, guys. Please, please. Take care. Please, just that's one, it, guys. Please, please. I feel horrible, but I mean, you know. Al's incredibly polite. Even the way he goes about his spoofing is subversive. And even though he doesn't have to, he says he gets permission from each artist he parodies. You just called up Kurt Cobain on the phone? Yeah. And, it, and what, and what you, you get, you, I mean, you call... Well, it was, I, I had a friend at Saturday Night Live, uh, and it was their first time playing Saturday Night Live. And I said, hey, you know, if you get Kurt alone in a room, put him on the phone, because I really want to talk to him. And that's exactly what happened. And what did Kurt say to you? It was a pretty short conversation. Uh, I, I basically told him uh, I wanted to do a, um, a do, do a parody of Smells Like Teen Spirit. And one of the first things he said was, oh, is it going to be a song about food? Because at that point, I was sort of like known as the guy that <laughs> did food parodies. And I said, no, actually, it's going to be a song about how nobody can understand your lyrics. And, and there, I think there was a brief pause on the other, other end of the line. And then he said, oh, yeah, sure, that's funny. In the video for Smells Like Nirvana, Al wears a blonde wig and sings as marbles spill out of his mouth. Actor Jack Black considers Weird Al an inspiration for his work in his comedy rock duo Tenacious D. Uh, smells Like Teen Spirit. It was a powerful jam that like changed the face of music. It kind of like created this new genre and sort of destroyed hair metal. It was a big cultural moment. And then he just comes in and marble mouths it and... There's something really important about laughing at things that take themselves too seriously. My humor is not mean-spirited. I don't want to do anything that's going to make them look bad. I don't want to do anything that would be offensive to them. You never did a Beatles song, right? A Beatles song? Yeah. Because um, you met McCartney, but then yeah. did, you add, did you want to do chicken pot pie? Yeah, I mean... The McCartney hit he's talking about. Say live and let die. I hate to bring that up because that's been trotted out so many times over the, over the years. And yeah, it, it is true. I mean, uh, Guns N' Roses had had a hit with it, and Paul McCartney obviously wrote it, so I wanted to get permission. And, and his reason was that he didn't want to do anything that uh, normalized the consumption of animal flesh. 
because he's, of course, a strict vegetarian. And he said, you can do about anything else. You can do tofu pot pie. You can make it about something, anything else, yeah. and, and I'm, I'd be fine with it. But my whole idea for the song revolved around it being chicken, so it didn't work. And here's a bootleg recording of the Weird Al parody that was never released, so you'll get the idea. It's chicken pot pie. Clearly, the chorus wouldn't have worked with Tofu. He isn't bitter when artists turn him down. And sometimes, to get permission, Al has to work pretty hard. When his manager Jay has done everything he can to get an artist to agree to a parody, and he can't, he turns it over to Al. Which means I basically have to be a stalker and figure out where the artist is going to be and then have myself coincidentally appear in their environment and approach them and hope they have a good sense of humor about it. Iggy Azalea was particularly challenging. Al wanted to parody her hit Fancy. Al flew to Denver to catch up with her. As he's waiting backstage, her manager tells him he's out of luck. Iggy is too busy to meet with him. Are you kidding me? The manager says he could possibly catch her later in London. This is not like me, but basically as she was walking off stage, I kind of jumped in front of her and said, Iggy, hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and I would love to do a parody of, of your song. And, and she said, oh, well, you know, I, I would need to see the lyrics. And I said, I happen to have them right here. <laughs> I pulled them out of my pocket, and uh, she glanced at them for several seconds and then said, yeah, looks fine to me. And I said, thank you very much. I got 99 problems, but a switch ain't one. I'm so handy. Everyone said so. I'll crowd your bathroom. Resurface your patio. You also deal with the, the fle- fleeting nature of fame, which is there are people that you're dealing with at the height of their careers. And then 10 years later, you're in the same place. And in some place cases they're nowhere you know their whole world has changed probably grateful that they've been immortalized <laughs> except for coolio oh <laughs> oh that makes me sad that he doesn't like the song but uh, oh well <laughs> a lot of people pointed out that like it wasn't even coolio's song it was a stevie wonder song oh yeah <laughs> so the irony is pretty thick All right but they're his words yeah the rapper Coolio's hit in the mid-90s, Gangsta's Paradise, made him a household name. I called Coolio. He called me back, obviously on a bad telephone line. Coolio says that when he goes into a bar and someone sees him, they go to the jukebox to play Gangsta's Paradise. And when it's not there, they play Amish Paradise. And everybody's looking at me. With this big stupid ass smile on their face, and I'm like, man, I, I don't even say that. And I just, you know, I try not to look at anybody because the song's over with. He tries not to look at anyone until the song is over. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know, I shun fancy things like electricity. At 4:30 in the morning. <laughs> Do you want me to, uh, Al, throw in that, that little bad vocal bit in the bridge? If I, I do. It? That okay. was nice. All right, I'll figure out the notes. Next for Al, a new tour. He came up with a way of refreshing his live show. Al and the band Unplugged. 
He's preparing to hit the road again this year. Al seems excited about the tour. No fat suit or elaborate costume changes. Instead, a set stuffed with rarities and original song parodies. It's coming. The live concert event that you may or may not have been waiting for. Weird Al Yankovic. Without the costumes, props, and video screens. Performing a bunch of obscure songs you barely remember. Nobody thought this was a good idea. It's a great ad and perfectly in tune with Al's self-deprecating approach to his legacy. But let's be honest, nobody is going to show up at one of these concerts and grumble. Because for an entire generation of Americans, this generation soaked in pop culture, Al is beyond reproach. Whether he knows it or not, his music is with us everywhere. Thanks, guys. I'll get on the other side. Even in the back of a taxi cab as we leave Sketchfest. Tiffany. You ever do Tiffany? I did. I did this song. You did this song? Yeah. What was it? Uh, I, I think I'm a clone now. <laughs> that is so funny. Edge of Fame is a production of The Washington Post and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. This episode was produced by Jenny Ament and edited by Jessica Alpert and Iris Adler. Special thanks to Bill Lance for his technical help. Sound designed by Paul Vikas and John Parati. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert, Jessica Stahl, and me. For more information about today's show, including Al's awesome pool picture and other episodes of Edge of Fame, go to WashingtonPost.com slash Edgers Podcast. You can drop us a line and tell us your favorite Weird Al song at edge at WBUR.org. If you do the Twitter thing, you can find me at Jeff Edgers. That's Jeff spelled G-E-O-F-F. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Edge of Fame on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It helps others find the show. (laughs) 